Hello, and welcome to the third Full Brexit election podcast. The Full Brexit is a group committed to seizing the historic opportunity Brexit offers for restoring popular sovereignty, repairing democracy and renewing our economy. I'm George Hoare, and I'm very happy today to be joined by Lee Jones, Pete Ramsey and Anshu Srivastava. So let's get started. Um, Lee, <clears throat> so we were about a week after the election. It's Tuesday, 17th of December today. What, uh, what is sticking out in your memory from last Thursday? Well, it was either Blythe, which was the first seat to declare up in the, the old industrial northeast, and of course it fell to the Tories, or uh, more symbolically the seat of Bolsover, um, which the ex-miner Dennis Skinner held for nearly 50 years, uh, which also fell to the Tories with an enormous 5,000 majority. So it was the crumbling of the Red Wall um, up in my old neck of the woods in the, in the, in the north, um, seats that I never really thought would um, flip over in quite, the right, quite those numbers mm. um, to the Conservatives. Um, but, you know, people stayed at home, they voted for the Brexit Party, they switched over to the Conservatives. Uh, to defend the value of their vote. Yeah, Pete, how about you? What's um, <clears throat> what was an, an anecdote from the night this, this historic yeah. election? Like for a lot of people, the exit poll, um, a mixture of um, disbelief, mm. vindication, uh, and relief. Really. Mm. Why? Um, dis- why relief? Well, disbelief because I, I've. I've fear I wobbled a little bit, I lost my nerve a little bit on the day, or as we came close to the election day, mm. I thought I, I thought maybe a hung parliament was where we were headed, yeah. uh, and because there was a certain logic uh, politically to the, to the, the, the kind of paralysed uh, stasis that we'd been in politically for months, and then um, uh, vindication because we said that this is what would happen uh, to the Labour Party uh, mm. if they uh, backed the second referendum and it did. Relief uh, for similar reasons to, that Lee's just said, relief that the working class voters of the north of England um, stood up uh, for their agency, said mm. that no, we count politically. And um, Wales. And, you mis- and Wales, sure, and the Midlands mm. too. Yeah. But they, the, the working class voters said, take us seriously, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're agents in this uh, political community. And, I think that was a huge relief. Mm. Yeah, Angie, how about you? Well, like the others, I was also uh, somewhat relieved, but I was also quite sad in a way uh, that it had come to this um, because it was um, um, a difficult decision, I think, for many people, people mm. in the North, uh, people having to make a decision, having to think through uh, what was a kind of lifetime change. Mm. And I don't think it was easy. These were people who had been for many uh, years now told that they don't think, they only act in this visceral or this kind of uh, gut instinct. And Mm. I think actually there was a lot of thinking going on. And people used uh, a lot of uh, very, uh, you know, deep thinking to come to that conclusion. And I don't think it was as easy for them and it wasn't easy for me either. But... um, I went to bed happy about <laughs> one o'clock, uh, and when I woke up, uh, what was interesting was, of the Labour uh, MPs that were still in Parliament, still over half of them are in leave seats. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's something that's really stuck with me as well. I mean, it was definitely a um, historic election, and I think 
there was a little, from at least from my point of view, a little bit of surprise at quite how resounding the exit poll was, and then how the results, how resounding the results turned out to be, including, uh, let's not forget, uh, Joe Swinson, who um, uh, <clears throat> was told unequivocally by the, the electorate that uh, she was not, not required. So, um, to move on to, I guess, to some of the explanations for this result. So we've obviously, on the full Brexit website, had a whole number of analyses before and after blog posts um, on the election. But I guess the main question is, I think, did Labour lose this election or did the Tories win? It's a massive loss for the Labour Party. I mean, they really lost this election. It's a massive collapse in their vote mm. from 2017. The Tories did not increase their vote very much. You know, so the overall story of the election on a you know, cephalogical level, if you mm. just count the votes and look where they fell, is the Tories held up their vote from um, 2017 and they consolidated and hegemonised the Leave vote. Um, they took most of the support back from the Brexit party that they had lost earlier this year. The Remain vote was, as we predicted and as all the polls were showing before the election, split across Labour and all the other Remain parties. And of course, they're also dispersed across constituencies. And this is the most basic cephalogical fact to bear in mind. Is two th when you look at the, the, the Leave Remain vote, 52-48, spread across constituencies, two-thirds of parliamentary constituencies voted to leave. So it was always mm. going to be a losing strategy to think that you could just junk the Leave voters and appeal only to the Remain side. It was a, it was a totally insane strategy from the very beginning. And, uh, and so it's proven. Yeah. It, the strat, Labour, strat, Labour lost, uh, yeah. the Tories didn't win. Uh, the strategy was um, that looks on the face of it insane. And it does make you wonder, there was a, a little um, film on Twitter of um, Clive Lewis, is that his name? Mm. Labour MP, responding to, the, to seeing the exit poll. And his words were, that's Brexit. And, and then you think, well, if you knew, mm, mm. why on earth did you pursue this strategy? He instantly <coughs> knows why they've been trashed. And, and, it is a, and I think that his reaction is probably very common amongst mm. Labour activists. And, and that does make you wonder. And I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought that, that they're, what they take Corbynite politics, we call them politics, but really it's piety. Really, it's their own piety. You know, we use the language of virtue signalling as a, a kind of mm. as a, an insult for, for the way that people uh, present themselves, particularly people who think of themselves on the left. But actually, it's a deeper thing that, that they really are have the quality of pious religious people, and so they felt it was their duty to call out racism and Brexit mm. was racism in, in their view, and so they pursued that. It wasn't really a political strategy. Uh, it was, yeah. it was a it was a pious presentation of themselves. The, the thing that struck me on the night was when they were talking about <coughs> Brexit, they were talking about it as this external event or this weird external shock over which they had no control. So it, Brexit was this yeah. thing that happened to them and blew them off course in the same way that an unexpected storm front would do or something. It's, it's not Brexit as this external force, it's your Brexit policy. Yeah. So it's this weird, as you say, this kind of moralistic approach to the event that well, we don't really want, we don't really like that, we don't really want to deal with it, but also this weird sense of any loss and no agency. Yeah. And there was nothing we could do about Brexit. Mm. We were always going to be, we are always going to lose. Total mm. nonsense, as a 2017 showed. Yeah, a lot of sort of feeling that the party could have, a, have control over this 
event it came through particularly clearly in what John McDonnell said but Anshu you wanted to jump in there why did Labour pursue this, this strategy? Well just coming back to Pete's point uh, regarding Clive Lewis's reaction mm. I think you know Clive Lewis's reaction betrayed um, something that was uh, rife across the party which was that they knew full well what the issue was mm. uh, but they'd been in this kind of what one might say uh, a, a, a status of knowledge and disavowal Mm. It wasn't that they didn't know, it's just that they didn't want to know about it and they didn't want to actually um, look at it and contend with it because it didn't meet other kinds of criteria that they m measured themselves by, coming back to your issue about kind of piety or some kind of moral uh, kind of mm. value. So um, this period of reflection, which is now being called upon, is really a kind of period of regrouping around, for me, this kind of um, denial. It's kind of how can we re rethink uh, the denial because otherwise the humiliation is almost complete. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's the, why, why do we need a period of reflection? It's, it's clear to everybody what's happened. Uh, so clearly it's a period of some other type of uh, activity that's going on, you know, kind of mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of trying to find a, a way to think about what's happened. Well, to, to your point about mm. denial and mm. whether it is clear to everybody, I mean, I think perhaps it is to some people, but mm. we have seen a already a number of knee-jerk explanations mm. um, for the result. And I think it'd be useful just to, to go through them perhaps mm. relatively relatively briefly, because we have, of course, seen the, the Liberal left or some sections of the Labour Party attempt to put the blame on, on various actors mm. um, <clears throat> within, within politics and wider society. So the first one is is the the media critique. Um, what do we make of this? The idea, I think, this would be that mainstream media has demonised Corbyn, which I think is is true, um, and that this has led to people rejecting radical politics, rejecting um, rejecting Labour wholesale. Basically, the idea it was the media that um, that did it. It was an interesting poll from Opinion, um, asking people why they had not voted Labour. And Labour's policies were the, the lowest reason. You know, 6% of people rejecting Labour's radical economic policies. The mm. policies are popular. The policies have been popular for years. So it's not Corbyn's politics on those kinds of things, you know, the renationalisations, investment in the economy. In fact, the Tories have had to move into that space to compete with Labour Party on this and abandon austerity. So it's not that. It's not that kind of politics. Um, but Corbyn did go down really badly on the, on the doorstep. Um, and Labour is saying, oh, it's because he's been demonised, you know, the whole anti-Semitism thing, that he's a friend of terrorists and so on. And I think this is, um, this is mistaken. There's a, a follow-up poll done by YouGov, um, and it's showing that Corbyn's prevarication and mm. deliberate ambiguity, lack of leadership over Brexit, it are the top reasons all mingled together about why people didn't like him. They liked him in 2017 because he seemed to have accepted the referendum result. Mm. He was the first person to come out, the first person in the country really to come out and say, invoke Article 50. Um, and he had faced down um, anti-democratic forces in his own party who tried to oust him after the referendum result. And, they, and the people could therefore see that, oh, he's like us. At some instinctive level, he's fighting for democracy and, and against these forces that are trying to defeat us. But he, and so he was an anti establishment figure in 2017. Yeah. By 2019, 
That's all changed. He's this weak figurehead. He can't control the liberal left faction in the party. Uh, he can't control Brexit policy. He has to pretend to be this neutral figure floating above it all. He has no position on the most important <coughs> issue of the day, no position on democracy and the value of working class votes. That's a, that's a terrible indictment for somebody of his um, credentials on the left, a lifelong mm. Eurosceptic, to have persistently hid from and dodged this issue. And I think that is the main reason why he went down so badly among Labour voters. Yeah. Among traditional Tory voters, I'm sure they hate him for all kinds of other reasons, but they were never going to vote Labour anyway. Yeah. But if you're trying to explain why Labour lost its vote, that's the reason why he went down badly on the doorstep. Yeah. And in that same poll, I would say that the two questions, was it Corbyn or was it Brexit, are the same question. Mm. Mm. And uh, the problem that Corbyn had was that uh, his entire USP was that he was a man of principle. And the moment he stepped away from that principle, uh, after the 2017 election, his reputation was shattered. It was then the same accusations that had uh, been levelled at him in 2017. I mean, the Daily Mail ran, what, 20 pages uh, against him just prior to the 2017 election, mm. uh, which didn't really touch him at the time, um, had a, a, an open door at that point to, to, to come through. I don't think yeah. that that particular critique in and of itself was the issue, but he just didn't have the kind of defence that, that he could have, even if he hadn't mounted it explicitly, implicitly, he was seen as a different kind of person, yeah. and once his personal reputation was uh, was 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 in shatter, it was in tatters. Sorry, uh, that was it. It was game over. I think there was also this incredibly naive expectation that during the election campaign, the broadcasters had the duty to give equal airtime to the Labour Party, mm. and so in this period of media neutrality, mm. Labour would be able to break through with its message. Yeah, and this is utterly bonkers. Um, this is the way that they have thought about their 2017 election um, victory. In retrospect, they said, yeah, because, because they stopped demonising us and then they had to give us equal airtime. And you heard them saying this before the election campaign, we'll do a lot better than, it, than the polls are suggesting because we'll, we'll get equal media time. And it shows you that they're placing so much emphasis on the media bias and you can see the hatred that Corbyn and his inner circle has for the media because of the way they've treated him, it's understandable. Mm. And they really thought that this, this tweak in the regulatory climate would allow him to break through in the media. The capitalist media is always going to bash a left-wing leader. Yeah. It's insane to think that you would have broken through just in a few <coughs> weeks. Everything would change. And to blame the media is just really uh, completely inadequate as an explanation. Mm. So I think that's one of the lessons that if we <coughs> thought the BBC was neutral, if anybody was still under that illusion, that's obviously not, not the case. Just, I agree with all of that. One thing to, to add, particularly to, to Anshu's point, is that it is remarkable the way that the um, accusations that, if anything, strengthened him in 2017, weakened him in 2019. Mm -hmm. I think that is so, mm -hmm. so the more the Tories pointed the, you were an IRA supporter at him back in 2017, the more his vote went up. Because I think because voters thought, yeah, he really was an outsider from the establishment, which is what they wanted, mm. and and the the um, the collapse into this game playing position of oh well I'll be neutral mm. and mm. that sounds like classic Blairite triangulation. Mm. It was all of the things uh, and he wasn't, and so when they then started throwing similar kind of accusations at him, then people bought into that this time around. And on the anti-Semitism point specifically. 
a lot of that does seem over the top. I mean, yeah. there is not, but there's two difficulties for, for Corbyn and the Labour Party. The first is that there's some basis to it. Mm. There are in the whole Palestine thing. There are Israel-Palestine thing. There are plenty of people who go from anti-Zionism into anti-Semitism, and um, and also the but the exaggerated character of the anti-Semitism uh, accusations. The fact that they take odd statements and people he hung out with and exaggerate it up into as if he's some kind of new um, uh, Goebbels or something. Um, that. Uh, is exactly what the woke left mm. does to its enemies. Mm. It's exactly the, the the technique of the Twitter mob mm. uh, of taking you know anybody who deviates ever so slightly from accepted uh, norms is to be uh, piled on. And so they were hoist on their own. The Corbynists, the left, were hoist on their own petard. Mm. The antisemitism, the hunting antisemitism, is the right version of of woke. Uh, politics and, and they were very vulnerable to that. So a kind of moral rather than political strategy yeah. which backfired <clears throat> in a perhaps unexpected way but Andrew you, you were going to jump in there. Well I think uh, just to carry on the point on anti-Semitism first um, prior to 2017 election and prior to the NEC becoming uh, part of the Corbyn uh, kind of uh, machine uh, one, one could forgive uh, him for not having the levers of power within the Labour Party to actually uh, exercise mm. the, 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 the kind of um, processes against anti-Semitism. One might say that it was actually in the interests of the previous administration in the Labour Party to drag their feet on those questions because it, it painted Corbyn and, 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 and the people around him in a bad light. But once uh, you know, he had uh, his own people in the NEC and continued to be so tardy in dealing with this question, then people uh, began to think, well, what actually is going on here? Because you can't simply say it's a, a, an issue of internal politics. There's something else uh, amiss. Uh, and I think that that was a real problem, and there was a real problem around leadership in, the, in, in, in grasping that question and, and, and dealing with it. I think it's particularly striking um, how Corbyn goes from this man of principle to this honest broker. I think that phrase, which is a classic Blairite one of tri triangulation, is, as you put it, Pete, <clears throat> that really does does show what Brexit ended up uh, doing to his, his position of leadership. But to move on to perhaps another explanation that's been put forward, um, what, what do we think of the idea that really this was the voters failing. Um, they were showing their, their racism, their xenophobia, <clears throat> that it was really low, low engagement voters, as they've been euphemist, euphemistically called, who just couldn't really grasp the um, material benefits that uh, Labour's manifesto would have given them, um, and so in fact got this, got this uh, decision wrong. Utter nonsense. Contemptuous. <laughs> it reeks of the technocratic contempt of, of the old Labour mainstream, as it happens of the middle-class liberal um, purveyors of, of compromise and of, uh, and of um, trying to reconcile uh, the condition of working-class people with, the, with whatever the, the, the capitalists are willing to let go. It's, it reeks of contempt. Our colleague Richard Tuck said it very well the other day uh, when he pointed out that the slogan, for the many, not the few, should have really been by the many, not mm. the few. Oh, yeah, 
I think I think that actually might have been uh, might have been Pete. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Pete. But, but it is a good it is a good observation. I think Rebecca yeah. Long Bailey has has started talking about by the many. But yeah, I think I think there is a really there's a deep um, a deeper explanation here. Actually, a real change in um, I guess a way of looking at the working class politically that maybe has some has some continuities though. But yeah, I'll just come back. Uh, I like another quote. This one's not one of ours. It's uh, Julia Kristeva. Um, revolt is a synonym for dignity mm. and I think that um, what um, the Labour Party and the left in general continue to fail to recognise is that this is not a moment that was to do, that was, was trying to answer questions of policy or of some type of you know what kind of immigration policy do we want or what kind of economic policy do we want it was a much deeper question constitutional question, not only in terms of our political constitution, but also as a citizenry. Mm. You know, in terms of what, who do we think we are and what kind of uh, you know, country do we want to live in. And, um, and so this is what really confused the left, because they can only really uh, re refer to these kinds of questions with these, uh, with these other kinds of answers around uh, race and, um, mm. and identity. And it's a cul-de-sac. It's mm. really di difficult to, um, to think it through uh, and not foreclose around these kinds of epithets. So they would agree with you that this was, in fact, an election about what kind of country you want to live in. Mm. But they would view it through the prism of morality. Mm. So there was a good vision, mm. uh, you know, green industrial revolution, all this um, woke stuff in education, mm. inquiry into imperialism, you know, all that, uh, versus the bad vision of a hard Brexit and, you know, screwing the poor and so on. And the voters made the bad choice, so they must be bad people. Um, it is mm. a failure of a political vision. So mm. if you think about what kind of country you want to live in on a political basis, mm. right, do we want to live in a country where some people we say, do you know what, you're actually deficient. Mm. You're too stupid or you're too retrograde in your attitudes mm. to be valued as a political equal. And mm. I entirely agree with you. There's a quite good piece in the Morning Star actually saying it wasn't even fundamentally about Brexit. It was about the dignity mm. of ordinary working voters. And, and this is why so many of them just snapped. It's, mm. They were so sick. And we've got a very good piece uh, gone up uh, on the blog by Chris McGlade, which expresses that view from his community on, on uh, Teesside, they were so sick of being talked down to mm. by the liberal left who dominate the Labour Party. For decades they've been looked down their nose at and they just had enough. Mm. This, was, uh, this was above all else an assertion of their political subjectivity and mm. of their political equality, of their rights as citizens, mm. to say we will be listened to. Mm. Um, you might have trampled all over us and threatened us for the last few years, but we will be heard. And to reiterate, that was the source of my relief, but at first realising what the result was likely to be. It was exactly that, that people had rebelled against the Labour Party for, for, for doing that to them, mm. um, for insulting them uh, and uh, not taking them seriously. I mean, it's also worth just stop holding for a second. I mean, I don't think the accusation is true. To put it down to racism is dumb. But let's say for a moment that it was true, even if it is true, to simply write off a third of your supporters, oh, they're all racist, what can you do? That's a very, there's a, there's a, that's a deeply apolitical response because it's, it's not like, you, could, you would have thought, if you really thought that, 
you think, well, what are we going to do about that? Hang mm. on, how are we going to win those people round? Mm. Because they have a, a, self, a wrong view, which from the point of view of pursuing the, their interest as working people, as wage earners, is, 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 is going to make life more difficult for them. They should mm. unite with other wage earners, regardless of etc. All the old anti-racist arguments. Mm. But that wasn't the response. The response is, oh, they're a, it was a moralised response. Mm. They're well, bad people. So I think there's, there's a few... Um, uh, explanations here that we can that we can more or less easily reject this inflated importance of the media, maybe influenced by cultural studies or Stuart Hall or Gramsci. These these kind of explanations, the <clears throat> knee-jerk anti-working class um, position of left liberals, the Blairite account that this was all due to Corbyn. Um, I think though there is a question here: what what are the to take a step back almost? What are what are the um, some of the structural factors which situate this result. I think there's been a lot in, in some of the full Brexit um, articles about the importance of this lack of representation or this this void in, in politics. So I mean how does does this election result seem to vindicate that theory? I mean I think so. I think the the argument we've been developing on the full Brexit is that um, uh, following Peter May's um, book Ruling the Void that a massive void has opened up between ordinary citizens and their political representatives. Um, citizens have withdrawn from political life and the elites have withdrawn from the masses and they've withdrawn from the masses into the state and through the transformation of the nation state into a member state of the European Union, they've withdrawn also into the European Union itself and into inter-elite networks. So the, the, the locus of policy making has shifted from Parliament and spheres of democratic contestation into the, the secret chambers of international diplomacy. And the Brexit vote, from that perspective, was a rebellion against precisely that system, that post-democratic, um, post-political, neoliberal constitutional order, and a demand that the politically elite listen to ordinary electors again and be accountable to them and listen to their grievances and do something about it. Um, and that was very much a revolt against the status quo, against the establishment. Every element of the establishment lined up to campaign for Remain. Mm. Um, but then the leaders of the Leave vote promptly vanished. You know, they're a bunch of basically mostly right-wing hucksters. Nigel Farage buggered off to the United States. Mm. Um, Gove and Johnson knifed each other in the front. Um, and so there was no real representation of that Leave vote. The democratic moment of the Leave vote it was never translated into a democratic um, movement. Theresa May very feebly tried to grasp the democratic mantle of Brexit, but she never really had it in her to uh, make a decisive break from the European Union. And so we got a real political crisis where Parliament um, was not seen to be representing uh, what people had voted for, the fundamental change that people had voted for. Into that gap steps initially the Brexit party yep. earlier this year, which mobilised, came out of nowhere to try to represent that um, desire for change. Yep. And the Tories uh, grabbed it back from the Brexit party in the form of Dominic Cummings coming back from you know, the, the architect of the Leave campaign and Boris Johnson, the figurehead of the Leave campaign. So. The left's failure to step into that vacuum over the last three years, that vacuum of leadership to grasp the democratic mantle, 
mm. of the Brexit vote and translate that into a radical programme for democratic renewal, economic transformation, has ceded leadership by default to the Conservative Party. And that is why Labour have, has lost so badly and why the Conservatives now have a massive majority in Parliament. I think it's really important just to, to have that as, as a bit of a frame for the implications of this um, of this result, because I think a lot of the initial reactions were um, <clears throat> more, more or less despairing um, of people on, on the left. But I think if we take this position that there is, in fact, much longer term deficiencies in British um, representative politics, then how does that how does that make us think about what the implications of this result are for Labour? It was a very uh, very poor result, mm-hmm. but what does it actually mean for Labour going forward? The the structural failure of our representative politics led me to be uh, and that disappearance of of any organised kind of leave you know the ERG's failure to come up with an alternative to May's uh, withdrawal agreement uh, along with the examples that Lee's given uh, I that led me to be quite pessimistic about where we were were headed mm. so one of the really interesting and remarkable things to my mind is the sheer bloody minded refusal of working class voters um, to uh, give up mm. uh, on 2016 and uh, that um, that's uh, I think that's where we, my m- mind is what do we make of that I don't think the, the, the I mean I'm, I'm going to drift on to what, what it means for the Conservative Party mm. but perhaps we want to mm. hold that back um, for the Labour Party it, I do think it's a radical loss uh, they, and it, it, it's very hard to see how they can bring this back um, the, 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 their trajectory is now the trajectory of European social democracy mm-hmm. I think it has to be mm-hmm. to becoming rather small middle class parties parties that represent uh, the, you know, the trade union officials the public sector manager, managerial class people with real interest in public spending and, and, and budget, budgets in, in, in state budgets um, for their livelihoods, it's that group of people um, who who are going who who it's going to have to represent. It's very difficult to see. Uh, there is the the blue labour strategy. Uh, yeah. You know, is is there um, to reconnect uh, with um, the large mass of traditional working class voters, as blue labour calls them? But it seems to me that the distance is is very big because the the vote. Their voters have rebelled by voting mm. Brexit Party, by not voting, or even by voting Conservative. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things come to mind. First of all, uh, I believe 25% of Labour members are in London. So, uh, given oh. that, uh, as I said earlier, more than half of the seats are in Leave seats, that does pose still a huge structural problem for Labour. Mm. But really, in the last few days, what struck me is that there is this uh, continuing kind of um, uh, confusion between trying to understand the Leave vote rather than trying to understand why we didn't understand the Leave vote. (laughs) Uh, And so the the self-reflection is still missing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's still a a belief that uh, we have the capacity to interpret this, but they're interpreting it from the same position that led them to this problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so uh, until that changes, uh, there'll just be another cir- circle of, 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 of the same kind of um, mistakes. Um, 
uh, just with a slightly different, uh, maybe uh, a person at the, at the forefront of it. Mm. But uh, I, I think it, it looks bad at the moment for Labour. I can't see how they will find themselves in, in, in a more, not quite a humble position, but just a, a more curious position. Yeah, I think so. Some people have, um, <clears throat> have taken this election result to mean the Tories are going to be in power for at least 10 years. I mean, this, yeah, this I seems to me to be to be what, what well, we're we, facing. But we predicted this back in July, you know, I wrote a piece saying that the, the, the drift to remain was the death of Corbynism and I said in that piece that I'd be surprised if Labour Party were able to win a majority any time in the next two decades, if ever. I mean, that's the scale of this defeat. Um, and I think the, the Anshu's point, I think, is, is a really important one, that there isn't an ability to reflect on why they got this so wrong and the speed with which the explanations came particularly from the Corbyn faction that you know and this is a and again it's a kind of cephalogical discussion which comes from the sort of from party strategists and a a machine politics way Mm. of thinking about about this is that the Labour Party's constituency was divided by the Brexit vote and of Mm. course it was Um, 60 about two-thirds voted to remain and about a third voted to leave and that was broadly um, although you know it doesn't map on entirely broadly um, the urban middle class um, uh, highly educated uh, group on the, in, in the remain camp and the traditional working class heartlands in the leave camp and so that was a difficulty for them but the way that they think about it I think is that therefore this was always going to be a disaster for us you know when the Tories were never split in quite the same mm. way, although actually, interestingly, more Conservative voters voted against David Cameron's line, which was to remain. They managed to recover. Mm. Um, but the Labour parties are like, you know, we were caught in the headlights. Mm. This was going to screw us regardless of what we did. Um, this is just something that we have to get past and then we can rebuild, almost as if, you know, oh, it's just, it was a bit like the, the global financial crisis. You know, mm. we just have to get past that and then we can come back. And if that's the way that they think about this and they try to stitch that coalition back together, I yeah. don't think they're ever going to be able to do that because they will permanently have lost the trust of the working class voters. So I think there's also a question here about the left more widely uh, than Labour that we can we can maybe move on to, Pete, unless, well, unless your point touches on this. Two things. I mean, so, so we're looking not at the end of the Labour Party, um, but it does seem to be the end of Labourism. I mean, we thought about that when, when Tony Blair... Uh, uh, repeal clause four, almost a quarter of a century ago, uh, that th- that was a significant moment. Uh, but the the electoral coalition which the Labour Party had built around clause four didn't collapse mm. at that point. It's collapsed now. It's declined ever since. Mm. If you look and mm. everybody's sending those graphs around, mm. you see that actually the Labour vote has been declining in working class areas since 1997. But um, but it's now collapsed, so the, the electoral coalition on which it was based has now gone. Uh, so that's important. The question in my mind, though, is what is what the Conservative Party will make of it? Mm. Because because this um, uh, bloody-minded refusal to be condescended to uh, that Northern Midlands Wales working-class voters have have uh, demonstrated, the Tories seem to be aware that Labour lost it and they didn't win it. Yeah. You know, Johnson's instant reaction was, you know, well, you've lent us our votes, we get that. Yeah. So they, being a, not a religious party, but a pragmatic party, mm. which has an instinct for power, mm. 
they are, I think, no doubt seriously considering it. I don't think it's just words or warm words or no. stuff about NHS and infrastructure. They mean to do something. Whether they're capable of it, I would seriously doubt. Uh, I think um, you know, they themselves lack um, a way out of the neoliberal. They're not going to fill the void. They're, interestingly, they're confronted with a kind of opportunity mm. to do so. That's, mm. I think, what this means, that suddenly they have uh, you know, uh, solid Labour constituencies for, for decades coming over to them. Um, uh, but I think, in a way, what happens to the left will in part be Turn on what, driven what by do. how the Tories failed mm. yeah. uh, over the next five or ten years. Mm. Yeah, it does seem that the left is, <clears throat> in a strange way, becoming reactive to the to the right, and it's always in fact been been the other way around that the left will put forward visions of society, and then conservatives or reactionaries will will, will seem to uh, seek to block them. Although that changed with New Labour, I yeah. mean, New Labour essentially followed Thatcher. You know, Thatcher famously said her greatest achievement is New Labour. Yeah. Labour Party followed the Conservative Party, um, and now it may be that the Conservatives with a more state-led, high public spending. Yeah, they're uh, the uh, Well, well, there. Yes, that's interesting. But it may be that now, left the traditional left policies look like they're just trailing along behind the Tories, who are actually implement if they do implement them, who will actually mm. be implementing them. So that's a that's a strange. But it'd be uh, even stranger if the Tory, if the Labour Party is recaptured by the by the Blairites, because. The Blairites will be cheerleading a sort of neoliberal centrism that the Conservatives have abandoned. Yes, I think, and I, I think that's why they, that's not going to happen. I think that's probably right. I, yeah, I think. So my take on this is that as long as Johnson remains able to have some dim recognition of the importance of accountability or representation or being tied to voters, then they're going to be dominant and they can move left or right on cultural or economic issues. But I think. The crucial thing is what what they can deliver, and yeah. that's that's Johnson's big thing is delivering on the promises. So this is why he set out numerical targets uh, in terms of infrastructure spending, yeah. doctors, da, da da da. He's going to enshrine these things in law and so on. But numerical targets, this is the new public management, isn't it? It's like they'll we'll all be like work. The Tory government's going to be like working in a university. There'll be boxes to tick. It's like Goss plan. It's, you know, it's like Moscow circa 1955. It's too early to say. Uh, the kind of stabilities and stabilisations that we've all been relying on for the past, past 40 years are, for, are fallen away. And there's actually a hugely volatile uh, political scene, but mm. both in this country and across uh, Western democracies. And uh, this kind of uh, paradox that we're talking about between, uh, you know, a Johnson government, neoliberalism, the actual material split within the Tory party itself. Uh, who would have thought that, you know, uh, they would uh, have uh, come to the point that they have in relations, for example, to the city and, uh, and, to, and, to, and to finance. Um, so it's very difficult to say where it's going to go next. But what I do think is quite important is something we've been talking about quite a lot of just now, which is that there is a recognition that the voters in the country are sovereign. Mm. And that is something which is very important. And that is something that the Tories have acknowledged in a way that uh, hasn't been acknowledged previously. Mm. Yeah. And, it, and, and so I will be interested to see how that plays out because 
If what we've seen recently has been, what I'd say, an attack on the political mind, that the whole swathes of the country have not been afforded any agency in terms of their political thinking. Mm. Uh, and that has returned into our, uh, our discourse, and I think that's very interesting how that's going to play out. Yeah, I that think is what the left mm. should be making something of in the years. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Because I think it's not natural Tory territory. Mm. Yeah, I think this is an, an absolutely crucial point, and one that we could we could probably talk about for a, a bit longer. But just in terms of, I guess, the implications of this result for Brexit um, will. So Lee, you mentioned Johnson's promises that he mm. will he will keep. I mean, get Brexit done was was one that really seemed to to cut through. Yeah. Um, are we now in a position that we are going to going to be able to get yes, Brexit done? Yes, at long, long last. <laughs> um, I know we all doubted that this would ever happen, but clearly he is going to pass his withdrawal agreement through. And even and perhaps more surprisingly, um, he is going to enshrine in law uh, a prohibition on extending the transition period. So in other words, he will have to get his free trade deal done with the European Union by the end of 2020, or we leave with, with no deal. Um, so he's really, you know, trying to keep that pact with the electorate that we're not going to repeat the, you know, dither and delay of the of the May administration. We will just get out, put this behind us, and get on with other things. That's going to be incredibly challenging to negotiate mm. a free trade deal within the span within the span of a year. Um, but I think it's still the right thing to do to say we put no deal on the table. It concentrates our minds. We don't mess about, and also it concentrates minds in Brussels. Right, we're not we're not going to extend and pretend for so long. Yeah, uh, we have to get it done. Of course, putting it in law is symbolic mm. because he's going to command a parliamentary majority, and Parliament, being sovereign, can always repeal it if, the, if when the crunch comes later on. But I do think that symbolism is uh, because the flip side was because of that large majority, he could have basically ignored the ERG and extended, yeah. and that's what a lot of people thought that he would do, and he's said, no, I'm not doing that. It's a deliberate choice to signal to people that have voted for him that. Plus, see, the, the, the Johnson has surprised, if we're, if we're honest about mm. it. He's surprised again and again, mm. and uh, he's a risk taker. Mm. It's a big risk, uh, but uh, th so far, the, the, the game that him and Cummings appear to have played over from the summer has paid off, mm. uh, and uh, they, they imagine, I think, if they're bold enough they can make it pay off again, we'll see. The question I have is, um, where has the racism gone? Mm. Uh, you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, Pete. Uh, many people have invested a hell of a lot in a narrative around, a particular narrative around racism in the past uh, three years. Uh, my own view is that it doesn't exist here mm. or there, it's just everywhere. It's a structural condition and it exists right across the board. And this uh, insistence that uh, certain people are racist and certain people aren't, and certain parties are, and certain parties aren't, or certain positions are, and other positions aren't, is actually missing the point. Uh, this question has a huge investment in it, uh, primarily from people on the Remain side because they think it's on the other side, and it will not go away. So if there is a, pl a place where it might come back is as, uh, we move into 2020. I think there are quite a lot of uh, uh, people, even within the centre-right and the right, who are still quite susceptible to this question. And that as the questions around trade deals and around uh, you know, what kind of international relations we have, this is where it will come back. It will be 
that Johnson's a racist, that the Tory party's racist, that their approach to Europe is racist, that their approach to um, uh, you know, trade deals with Trump is racist, and because the race has been the thing that, that's inoculated the left from our arguments. Mm. You, know, they, you, know, we, we, you know, apart from that question, in one sense, what uh, we say as a group makes a lot of sense to people, but they find it really difficult to actually connect because of this uh, kind of prophylactic, I would say, of race, which comes in the way. So uh, it's not gone away. Uh, it will come back. Uh, it's completely confused, as, as far as I, I'm concerned, in the way that it, people discuss it. But it's, um, it's, it's not done its work yet. I mean, certainly the, the intersectional left immediately responded to the election result by saying this is a load of racist old people. Uh, and so I think the Labour Party itself, the kind of upper echelons of the party may have, um, you know, David Lammy's kept his mouth shut on this question, for example, um, for a few days. Uh, but I agree that it's still there and these attitudes are deeply entrenched. Um, but if they don't really rethink the way that they think about this question, then they will permanently alienate um, swathes of, of the electorate and they'll just never ever be able to stitch that constituency back onto the to the kind of woke middle classes that they already appealed to and they will just shrink permanently. But just just to clarify your your suspicion is that this <clears throat> charge of racism against the Johnson government will will um, will come back will we'll come back pretty um, pretty soon and will be mainly delivered by sections of the liberal left and Will then essentially backfire? Will will, no, I, will or, or do you think it can be a successful? I don't know if it'll be successful, but I think actually there are more people on, uh, say, in the Conservative Party who might be susceptible to it uh, because it's a very, you know, it is in, in one sense a, a very difficult accusation hmm. for uh, politicians to to to, to handle. Um, at the moment, the heat's also been on uh, the Labour Party with anti-Semitism, mm. but now it's all going to be on the Conservative Party and everything will be thrown at them that can be. My point is, it's not that the accusation is incorrect, but it's, 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 uh, that it's only um, put in one... It's only ever in some, somewhere else. It's only ever in the third mm. person. It's only ever over there rather than over here. And that is my uh, difficulty with it. Mm. So I think perhaps you know, a very wide-ranging mm. discussion, hopefully not the, the last of these on, on the full Brexit um, podcast series, although this will be the last in our, um, of our election episodes. Just to give everyone a chance, any final, any final thoughts or, or conclusions here? I think some of the questions which, which really um, strike me as, as crucial ones that we're going to be trying to answer in the, in the coming months are where next, what's, what's coming next for the left, um, why weren't left-leave arguments more widely accepted? Why didn't they seem to have more traction? Um, what's, what is this process of realignment going to look like in terms of a changing class structure of, of um, British politics? And what are the, what's the meaning going to be of, the working, of potentially this working-class revolt away from what's, what uh, some, some people have called the dead hand of, of Labour? Um, I mean, is this a positive thing that we can take from this election or not? Um, but yeah, just any any final thoughts on this? You know, this historic um, election of, of twenty nineteen, Lee. I suppose the only thing I would say to kind of loop back to where we started was a lot of people said 
Remain and the People's Vote campaign, they can mobilise a million people onto the streets. You know, where are the where are the Leave where are the Leave voters? They don't care. You know, they've basically given up, and they use that symbol, symbolic um, thing of street protests to show that you know the balance of force was with the Remain side. And what this election reminds us is the crucial importance of the vote and of political equality. Um, that, yeah, Leave people didn't come out onto the streets, it's true. They don't have collective institutions and organisations to mobilise them, uh, to bring them out onto the streets, because all those have been attenuated and destroyed. And even their own party, the Labour Party, um, mobilised against them. But they waited and they bided their time. And when the time came, they used their vote to defend the value of their vote. And they realised now that they are biddable. They cannot be ignored anymore. They will not vote in a tribal manner anymore. Lots of them. I mean, still some will. Others just disengaged and didn't vote. But others can now see that actually, you know, we can make these buggers pay. They'll pay the price for ignoring us. So that old Peter Mandelson idea about the reason why you can pitch to the centre and you can have new labour, because the working classes have got nowhere else to go. Well, the working classes do now have somewhere to go after decades of realignment. And that gives them considerable power going forward to determine the future trajectory of British politics. The question is, will, they, will that power be lent permanently to the Conservative Party? On what terms will the Labour Party try to steal that power back? Mm. And will anyone on the left be bold enough to not try to rescue the Labour Party but to meet that working class revolt in the middle and channel it for a new alternative. Mm, well put. Exactly. The, the, a section of the working class has uh, it's demanded that its, uh, its citizenship, its uh, agency um, be taken seriously. Uh, and I think uh, the challenge for the left is to, uh, is to rise to that, to articulate what it means, uh, and to radicalise it, to, to, to take that, the potential in that and put that at the centre of our ideas and to replace uh, the old bureaucratic state socialism with that, that proposition and, and having articulated it, then to put it back as a challenge to the working class because uh, taking your citizenship seriously means more than just voting. Voting is vital, mm. but it means more. Mm. And, and uh, challenge, offer people something... Uh, uh, um, something about political life and public life that's, that's attractive and that they want to be a part of mm. um, because it offers them real chance to take control of their lives. Mm. That's the challenge for us. I always had faith in the country uh, and we live in uh, one of the most uh, highly educated and um, uh, privileged countries in the world, so we've got actually a very mature electorate, and that's often forgotten. Um, and uh, so, as others have said, it was just a question of waiting for the noise and the froth to dissipate so that the people could speak. Yeah, and we certainly did. Um, mm. So, thanks very much to all the, all the guests on this on this episode, and thanks very much for listening as well.